Hi, my friend. I hope you have been finding this podcast helpful. Well, I have some good news for you. I have created the Decoding Obesity community just for you. This is a safe and judgment-free space for finding the accountability you need so that you can get started on your weight loss journey right away. And it's completely free. So head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook to sign up. I'll see you in the community. This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. On a recent episode, we talked about breakfast and how important it is. On this episode, I wanted to focus on something slightly different. I wanted to talk about meal frequency. That is, how many meals in a day should we eat? Some people say 5 to 6 meals a day, while others say 1 to 2 meals a day. Traditionally, we've been eating three meals a day. I will not be delving into the concept of intermittent fasting and one meal a day because that was covered in several prior episodes, including the last one. You can check out episodes two, three, and four to know all about the science and history of intermittent fasting. You can also listen to stories of my guests on episodes 53 and 63 to know how intermittent fasting has helped them lose excess weight. I will also be talking about chrononutrition, that is, when is the right time to eat according to science? Okay, so let's start with meal frequency. Believe it or not, since our existence, this has been determined by culture more than biology. Unlike modern humans and domesticated animals, the eating patterns of many animals are characterized by intermittent energy intake instead of a set pattern. So whenever food was available, people would eat or animals eat. When it's not available, they have no choice really. The ability to function at a high level both physically and mentally during extended fasting periods would have been of fundamental importance in our evolutionary history. This probably would have been the way of life till we started growing crops and had a constant food supply. The agricultural revolution which happened about 10,000 years ago resulted in a constant year-round availability of food typical of modern societies. This probably led to set meal frequencies according to the cultural norms of the society because it probably provided both social and practical benefits for the daily work and school schedules. Interestingly, the concept of three meals a day is fairly recent. Even in the ancient Roman times, believe it or not, there was a concept of only one substantial meal which was consumed around 4pm and the concept of eating more than once per day was actually considered unhealthy. There were smaller meals of course that were eaten in the morning and at noon but these were more of snacks than proper meals. In fact, eating more than one meal a day was actually considered a form of gluttony. There is a 16th century proverb which I actually came across and it's very interesting. It says, to rise at 6, dine at 10, sup at 6 and go to bed at 10 makes a man live 10 times 10. Even in medieval Europe, there was a concept of two meal a day schedule, one at midday and one in the evening. Now let's look at the science on this. You know, I came across an interesting article that was published in 1989 in NEJM, which is a very, very prominent medical journal. 
So interestingly, the scientists looked at what they called a nibbling diet versus three meals a day. So a nibbling diet was, believe it or not, 17 snacks a day. So it wasn't like a proper meal, but 17 snacks per day. I don't know how they came up with this. And actually, this is fascinating that people actually volunteered for eating 17 times a day. While they did find improvement in total cholesterol, LDL, and even improvement in serum insulin levels, but in my opinion, the biggest drawback was that there were only seven participants who were randomly assigned to the different groups. The data regarding this is all over the place. Various early studies actually pointed towards worse outcome with lower frequency of meals. A recent study within the European Prospective Investigation into Cancer or the EPIC project showed a lower level of cholesterol and LDL in patients with higher frequency of meals that is greater than or equal to six times per day compared to those who ate one to two times a day, even after adjustment for variations in the age, their BMI, physical activity, smoking, total energy intake, and macronutrient distribution. There was another analysis done from the data of the season study, that's a seasonal variation of blood cholesterol, and actually the data was collected from 1994 to 1998. The researchers basically evaluated the relationship between eating patterns and obesity. Basically, three 24-hour recalls were taken and body measurements were collected at five equally spaced time points over a period of one year from 499 participants. So that's a pretty big sample size. Data were averaged for the five time periods and then analyzed. The researchers found that greater number of eating episodes each day were associated with a low risk of obesity with the odds for four or more eating episodes being 55% compared to three or fewer meals. When you look at the data from the Adventist Health Study, it shows a different result. I talked about this study actually in the breakfast episode also. This was a big data pool that the researchers looked at and it consisted of 50,660 adults. They found that eating one or two meals a day was associated with a relatively lower BMI compared to three meals a day. Interestingly, they found a positive relationship between the number of meals and snacks and increases in BMI as well. There was another recent study which followed 65 adult women with overweight or obesity over three months. They were divided into two groups with one group eating three times a day and the other group eating six times a day. 45 women completed the study. The researchers found that the only significant difference in the two groups was that only the decrease in fasting insulin levels in the six-meal group was found to be higher than that of the three-meal group. That means the fasting insulin levels were lower in the six-meal group compared to the three-meal group. The changes in the body weight, body composition, lipid profile, fasting blood glucose were similar in both the groups. There was also a systematic review and a meta-analysis done. So meta-analysis again is when they club a lot of studies together to see what the pooled data is showing. So that was done of the various randomized controlled trials and that basically concluded that meal frequency data was still not as robust as we would want it to be. Even the 2017 statement from American Heart Association on the implications of meal timing and meal frequency on cardiovascular disease prevention states that altering meal frequency under isocaloric conditions may not be useful for decreasing body weight or improving traditional cardiometabolic risk factors. This raises an interesting question though. Is regularity of meals more important than actually the frequency? Several studies point to the fact that having regular meals is associated with lower glucose response and a lower cardiometabolic risk. Probably the quality of snacks is more important than just the frequency itself. 
the literature suggests, as most of you would probably know already, that consuming nutrient-poor snacks may be associated with a higher BMI. And not only that, it is also associated with eating in the absence of hunger, eating away from home or work, social modeling, and food insecurity. In episode 62, we talked about breakfast. Now let's talk about the timing of the other meals. There has also been some research done into the timing of lunch and dinner. For example, there was a study which actually showed that late lunch eating was associated with decreased resting energy expenditure and carbohydrate oxidation as compared to early eating. That means that people who ate a late lunch in that study actually had a lower resting energy expenditure compared to those who ate an early lunch and also had a decreased glucose tolerance. Now, this is important to understand. Not only that, the same researchers also showed that late eating inverted the daily rhythm of the salivary microbiota or the bacteria that are present in our mouth as compared to early eating. Various studies have also shown that a late dinner or late night eating increases the risk of obesity, bad cholesterol and metabolic syndrome. One extreme example of eating during the biological night, as you would call it, are people who work the graveyard shift. These workers have an increased risk of obesity and may experience a tendency to eat more and a high desire for energy-dense foods. There was a 7-year follow-up study of 1,097 Finns that showed that participants who had a lower energy intake or lower food intake in the evening had a lower risk of obesity and those who had a higher intake of energy in the evening were more likely to have obesity. Eating early in the evening seems to be associated with a smaller appetite and a lower desire for high-fat food compared to consuming later in the evening. I'm sure we don't need science to tell us this. At least I've experienced it firsthand on my night shifts. Not only that, late night eating has been associated with a greater risk of poor cardiometabolic health in several cross-sectional studies. So various epidemiological studies suggest a potential detrimental effect of these late meals on cardiometabolic health. But the clinical intervention studies, which would address the causality, that is, try to establish a cause-effect relationship, have been limited and there's really no conclusive evidence from these. In the end, I would say, choose healthy snacks if you choose to snack, eat an early lunch if you choose to eat lunch, and an early dinner if you choose to eat dinner. So how many meals do you have in a day? When do you eat your lunch and dinner? Would you consider switching this around to see if it works for you? Let me know in the Decoding Obesity Facebook community, which by the way, if you haven't joined, I encourage you to join. It's a free Facebook community that I've created where you can find other people in the same boat and basically get the accountability that you need and the support that you may not be able to find at other places. Well, this has been a deep dive into the science of meal frequency and meal timing. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.